Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Alien vs. Predator Galaxy podcast. I'm regular host Aaron Percival, a.k.a. Corporal Hicks, and joining me are regular partners in crime. Ridge Top, or my real name is Adam. Hello, everyone. I am sleep-deprived from reading a lot, but I will try and be coherent here. And AJ Bishop, <laughs> AKA At least he's owning to it before we slag him off for it. So... Yeah. Adam, what time were you up to getting this book read for this podcast? Oh, just, you know, 8.30 a.m. my time. But I had to take my girlfriend to work early in the morning, so works out. And how long, how much advance warning did you have about this episode? A few weeks, but I'm also working on a BFA gallery show right now. And so I procrastinated. Shock. But we'll get into that I did really enjoy these books and it was time well spent reading, but just a busy month. Well, myself, in preparation, I started reading immediately when it came out. Oh, so I get a gold got star. got a good book. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, when it came out, I didn't have the book yet, but I bought the audiobook and started listening to the audiobook. And I got maybe about eight chapters in when the book arrived, and then I switched over to the book and finished up in early March. And I haven't touched the book since, but I, I think I have most of the story in me, but I didn't read it as many times as Aaron or as recently <laughs> as Adam. And uh, I'm going to rely on you guys maybe to help me with some details in case they're fuzzy. Also, a little difference here, and I believe this is at your request, Aaron. Voodoo has not read The Cold Forge, and I finally did get around to reading The Cold Forge right before this book. So I read one... Four, four years yeah, late. Four years late, yeah. I've only been bigging up The Cold Forge for four years. It, it took him that long to get there. Did it really come out four years ago? I, I think it was 2017, yeah. Yeah, I stayed away from the Cold Forge on purpose here. I mean, not originally. Um, I always. But heard you don't. Book. Do you really read the Alien books? No, I don't really read the Alien books, AVP books, or Predator books. It's not that I don't enjoy reading. I just don't seem to desire to allocate the time to do so. And I, be honest with you, sometimes with a very good book, you know, I, I can see that I'm hurting myself. So typically, I don't read the books here. But when this podcast was coming up and I was going to participate, I said to Aaron, "Hey, I'll read." Cold Forge, and then you know I'm going to go ahead and read um, into Cribdis. And Aaron actually suggested, "Hey, why don't you not read the Cold Forge, so we can have a unique perspective from someone who you know is coming into it cold?" And because at the time it was a secret sequel, right? It wasn't yes. advertised as a sequel to Cold Forge. And I guess it was going to be an experiment to see if I was going to be confused in parts because I hadn't read the previous Alex White book. That that was my thinking. Because yeah. you weren't going to let me get away with that. You were like, it's time you read The Cold Forge already, so you best get on both of those. So, Well, if you haven't figured, if you haven't seen the title of the episode, we are reviewing Alex White's second alien novel, Into Charybdis. Yes. And it actually took me a long... This book was pushed back so many times in the UK. It was fucking ridiculous. I ended up... I think the audio book came out before the books did over here. I ended up getting two signed copies from Forbidden Planet just because I was getting so impatient to read, physically read it. I did end up listening to the audio book myself, but I'm a bit ADHD and I can't pay attention to the audio books only when I'm driving because I'm a little bit on autopilot so I could kind of pay attention attention to what I'm doing but no I don't I don't like the experience so yeah I, I got fed up went and ordered a second signed one so I could damage that with the dog ear in it and then the review copy showed up two days ago 
I'm like, okay, thank you. It's a little bit late now, but I, I appreciate the gesture. You've already got my review, actually. So yeah, you put that pretty timely um, on the website, I think, right? Yeah, once I finished actually reading reading the book and blitz through. You want to share your score with your written review with us? Yeah, of course. So I really like what Titan's been doing in general with Alien and Predator. You know, I do think we're in this really nice age of new. Generally solid stuff from from Titan. Few misfires, but generally solid. But there has been three truly standout alien novels for me. One standout Predator novel uh, book. Sorry, I best di- differentiate that. An anthology is not a novel. These two and Phalanx. So for Alien, Adam jumped to fucking head and spoiled my um, <laughs> my reveal. But yes, the perfect books, the 10 out of 10s for me from Titan have been Intercaribdis, The Cold Forge, and Phalanx. Everything else has generally been 7s out of 10 for me. But these ones are genuine 10 out of 10s where even if there's something I can pick on that annoys me, like there was in this, you know, I'm not going to lie, but it didn't ruin the reading experience for me. I just, I love Alex White as an author outside of Alien and Alien. You know, Alex gets the series as far as I'm concerned and their writing in general is just, is just brilliant. Yeah, I really, from the strength of The Cold Forge, I went out and brought Alex's original trilogy, the Salvages trilogy. Well, it was only the first one. That's like the Starship on the... Big ship at the end of the universe. I can't. I can't remember the titles offhand, but yeah. And this morning, Alex's first novel arrived. Every mountain made low, which hmm. I haven't got to yet. I'm quite looking forward to that. I still have the third book of um, Salvages to read, uh, but I just haven't got around to that one yet, just because. Well, in general, my life's been a bit shitty in terms of social time and motivation and stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I'll get there. I'll get there, and I, and I will because of how much I do enjoy Alex's work. But yes, a 10 out of 10 for me. Would you agree with me on this? And I've heard this among game journalists kind of defend 10 out of 10 scores as well, is that a 10 out of 10 does not mean perfect. It's just that's your review score. It's as close to perfect as, as you personally are going to get. But the book can still have issues. And I feel like that's a misconception. People say, oh, you think it's a perfect piece of media. But I don't personally think that 10 out of 10 means that. I don't think there's any such thing as a 10 out of 10. I mean, talk alien. There's stuff in that to pick on. You know, that awful transition to um, Ash's head. That awful effect of Ash's head as he burns away. The camera guy, not the camera guy, the, the guy flapping the thing as he's running through. There are things to pick up on on films that are generally considered brilliant. And yeah, I, I do agree with you. I mean, I consider Isolation brilliant. I think I did mark that not quite 10 out of 10. Maybe that was like a 9.5 or whatever. But it's aged in, pretty well, though. <laughs> in general, you know, that's aged really well. There are things to complain about, but... I would, I would probably up my review of Isolation actually now. 10 out of 10. Yeah. I probably would too. Yeah. I, I think nothing is perfect, but I, I hardly give things 10 out of 10. But if it if does get out of 10, uh, 10 out of 10, I think it, it there's no big errors in pacing, characterization, narrative issues. You know, you could just nitpick something here or there. But other than that, if the, your, your issues are larger than that, I don't think it deserves a 10 out of 10, at least to me. But, you know, it's, it's perceived differently by everyone. And, you know, some people just throw 10 out of 10 tens with everything <laughs> you know uh, there used to be um a guy on youtube that says either it's the best or worst movie ever right and those were his <laughs> two scores for context for all the books there are only five 10 out of 10 alien books there are only five 10 out of 10s as far as i'm concerned so it's not like you know i i give them out left right and center kind of thing what are the other two because you've said three so far uh so from bantam's original run it was their last two books music of the spears and berserker 
uh, DH Presser stuff was generally trash. Well, no, okay, generally it wasn't trash. Okay, no, I mean, See, I I actually want to go and review some of those DH Press books because I remember enjoying some of them. I'd be very curious to get your thoughts of some of the Predator ones, maybe like Forever Midnight. That well, would be one I'd like to revisit. In a couple of months, in a couple yeah. of months, we're going to visit Forever Midnight. And I've never read South China Sea, and you say that's the best Predator book ever. So I think it's a toss-up between that and Turnabout, right? Turnabout and South China Sea, yeah. yeah. They were 10 out of 10s for me for Predator. But in, in fair, there's not been many Predator novels. Three three Bantam ones, 4DH Press ones. Time's not done too well with, with them, but they haven't done many either. They had the If It Pleads anthology and the compilation of the older ones, but yeah. I don't think they've done a standalone Predator, not other than the the Rage War trilogy, but that's the same EP, even if the yeah. book's branded as Predator. Yeah, but we're here to talk about Into Charybdis. Yes. So AJ is the um, uninitiated, and I guess there's more of a Predator fan than an Alien fan going into it as well. Yeah, Predator has my heart. Yeah, definitely. How did you take the book? In short. In short. Well, Alien Into Charybdis by Alex White. What I'm going to do here is go off the rails for a bit, but I promise to get back on track. So just be patient with me. But the best way I can encapsulate my experience with this book is six words. I'm in hell, but don't stop. And why I'm framing it this way. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I'm in hell, but don't stop. There is a television show in the U.S. called The Big Bang Theory, and there is a character on that show named Sheldon who hates intimate contact. So because of this, a girl-slash-friend of his that's into Sheldon devised a plan where she would dress intimate contact up with the geeky things he loves so Sheldon would embrace it more. So Sheldon is a fan of Star Trek, and there's a scene where this girl-slash-friend gets him to play Dr. Star Trek style, where she's dressed in a uniform and she has a tricorder. And Sheldon is caught doing this by his friend Leonard and tells him, I'm in hell, and then turns to her and says, but don't stop. And uh, this pretty much mirrored the way I felt reading Alien into Charybdis. I love Alien. I love good writing, but I usually can't stand novels that spend an enormous amount of time dealing with the inner workings of a job facility, employee positions, job responsibilities, management hierarchy. This stuff is tedious for me, but in this book, I didn't want it to stop. I'm all about characters and their story, but somehow Hasanova Data Solutions became the best character in the book to me. Its entire workings inside and out was the best character in the room. And it was the room. And another one, definitely. I'm also in hell with smart bugs. And I'm sorry, alien fans, to call them bugs. But Giger started that. But upgraded creatures, genetic modification. Before we go any further, just as a disclaimer, there will be spoilers in this if it wasn't obvious. But this book has a lot of lore implications, I would say. So just so our listeners know, there will be spoilers if you haven't read already. And if you have yet to, come back and listen. So again, um, with uh, those genetic modified aliens, the alien is perfect to me. And the beast is not cooked. And changing the creature this way to make it quote unquote like more interesting is sharks with laser beams attached to their heads to me. 
I mean, I read a xenomorph picking up a gun in the novel AVP Hunter's Planet, and I wanted to throw the book across the room. Yet, I like reading interesting, well-fleshed-out characters. And this blue Marsalis, this human basically in a in an alien body was also the best part of the book to me. So Alex White really defied gravity for me here. And it was so well-written that loathing turned into love. I really enjoyed reading Alien into Cryptus. Most of the characters from the crew of the Gardenia to the workers at Hasanova felt real. They were well-defined and interesting, and the narrative was well-structured, and there were some great horrific moments that had me on the edge of my seat, like an alien attack on those imprisoned Hasanova colonists. That was totally thrilling. And writer Alex White really kept me guessing as well. By the end of the story, I had no idea which characters were going to survive, which is a, a very rare thing. Now... Was it perfect to me? No. I did have some issues. The story had me mesmerized in the first act, but started to loosen its grip on me once the Colonial Marines showed up. And Captain Kylie Duncan was kind of eye-rollingly too over the top for me at times. And the story felt a little overbloated for me. Like, did we really need those interludes, all of those interludes with Haroon? And the, end, and the ending I felt was a, a dragged on a little bit. But overall, everything, all the criticism I just said didn't stop me from closing the book and having a big smile on my face. So in regards to score, I've been teetering back and forth between an 8.5 and a 9. But last night I decided Alien into Cryptus deserves a 9. Alex White did a fantastic job and this is really a good book. Yeah, it was, I had been meaning to read Cold Force for a while, and, and finally you gave me a good kick to get on that. And I feel like that you definitely get the most out of reading this after Cold Forge because everything I had heard was, oh, this is not a, a sequel to Cold Forge. This is kind of like acknowledges some of the events of the Cold Forge, but you can go in fresh, but it's a sequel to Cold Forge pretty much. 100%, yeah. But it does take place sometime later. But I was very surprised by how much of a sequel it, it was. But yeah, the the really the the establishing introduction to this, we start with a spaceship crew that wakens for this contractor job on this data storage facility that is part of the um, Iranian government and uh, Iranian government. And it's just such an interesting facility because that's where the book's name and the facility's name is from is that it's this gigantic, it's hard to even describe but like gigantic rock series of islands that water of this big lake kind of pours down into this bottomless pit. And in the center of this pit is like a data cannon that's meant to output data streams to various points in the galaxy. And so just how they described this colony, the hazards of the colony and, and what kind of a colony it was in the culture there was just so interesting and so unlike anything that I've read before in terms of how we typically view a colony in the alien universe. This was such a unique structure and culture that was inhabiting the structure that that really drew me in, contrasted with the crew of the Gardenia that was there for the job, which is more of like a standard kind of alien space trucker crew that we are used to kind of being thrown into this other culture with us. And things have some tension at first between these two cultures and disagreements over what the contract entailed. 
But eventually, the situation gets a lot more complicated. So overall, I just really enjoyed this book, but I enjoyed it very much as a continuation of Cold Forge. Once those characters from that book started showing up, that's when the book really had me. And I didn't expect that to happen. The The character I assumed would be the main character through this whole book gets shot in the head. And I was like, whoa, I did not expect that to happen at all. So that was kind of a shocking moment. And from there, the book just really had me like, okay, what's going to happen now? I have to agree with you, Voodoo, about Kylie Duncan was her last name, right? The Marine captain. Yeah. I had the same problem with the Cold Forge. The villain in that is over the top, increasingly more psychopathic and unstable through the book. And the same thing happens with the villain in this book. And there were some moments I was like, really? You think you're going to get away with what you're doing here? And this many Marines would follow you doing what you're doing? So that kind of was like a bit hard to buy. I had the same problem with Cold Forge with the antagonist in that one, but it didn't bring it down too much for me. Overall, I would have to give this book a nine uh, with you, Voodoo. I was considering an eight, but when I kept looking at my reasons, I was like, well, you don't like the prequel stuff. You don't like the Black Goose stuff. That's your own personal preference. You can't really rate a book based on that. But the characters, the writing, the story and how it just reels you in, the action, everything that you would want to see as an Alien fan, in my view, is in this book. But also there's a lot of interesting new things that really have massive lore implications. And for me to say that without it being a negative, because usually when they throw something in that has big lore implications, it's it's like, why did they do that? That's a terrible idea, like the black goo, in my opinion. But in this one, it actually, the idea that we see in terms of the xenomorph here very much had me intrigued. So yeah, it's it's definitely a solid read and I highly recommend it. I'm still offended by your nines. <laughs> you just loved it that much, huh? Well, our, na- our names weren't in the book, Aaron. <laughs> Okay, let's back up a little bit. I'm because... teasing. I'm just teasing. No, it doesn't. It doesn't need to be. Cold Forge. I'd probably give an eight. By the way, you see, <laughs> the, the the Cold Forge just blew me away when I first read that. I I went into that book with the only having this shitty cover art, this description that it's kind of like Rogue, it's kind of like Labyrinth. And Alex had said to me, if you like Labyrinth, you'll probably like this book. And I flew through that in two days. And when I finished The Cold Forge, I just wanted to turn it straight back over. And that has only ever happened to me once before when it was the alien stuff. And that was the first time I read Earth, Hive and Nightmare Asylum because I had it in a little... Do you remember when you used to be able to get dual... Well, no, it's what, it's what Time republished them all as, where you could get them as omnibuses. Omnibuy? <laughs> Omnibus. And that is the only time I've ever just wanted to turn a book straight back over. And that was because that was the first time I'd read anything extra alien. That was that was my first exposure to stuff other than the films and a couple of the games. And with the Cold Forge, I just I, I wanted to turn it straight back over because it was such a brilliant experience for me where it had all these typical tropes that were just flipped on their fucking heads. We've been through this. I love being surprised. I don't like knowing where things are going. Which kind of makes it awkward when we're doing things like under, you know, getting spoilers and stuff for, for stuff for scoops for the website. But in in the books, yeah, I really like and the comics. I really like being surprised. And the Cold Forge did it, and it did it fantastically. You might have thought Dorian was over the top. I thought he was fucking deliciously villainous. <laughs> Dorian to me is that guy that you just fucking love to hate. He he was Joffrey. 
it was just when you have a, a corporate suit guy like Burke literally start to just claw at people and bite their necks and stuff. I'm like, uh, it's it's getting a bit much for me. He, he had gone over the edge at that point. Remember, you know, he he'd shown up as an evil person in terms of the corporate world kind of thing. But yeah, he did get tipped over the edge. But but we're not here to talk about the cold food. Oh, all right, we won't get into that. But that's just to say that I really revere the Cold Forge. And as such, I then went on to really like Alex. What about Duncan for you? Was she over the top at all or did you totally buy that? No, I never rolled my eyes at Duncan. Again, she was the same. You know, she was deliciously villainous. You didn't think like really the other Marines would follow her after she had just murdered the reason they're there in two fire teams? That's the point of the thing, isn't it? I mean, the villainous colonial marines in this are based on genuinely bad people in the military getting away with bad actions. Alex was inspired by the pardoning of war criminals, the way they handled Duncan in the book. And I think a lot of people don't tend to realise just how realistic, seemingly incredibly stupid or outrageous things actually are until you're a part of these machines. Real quick. I wanted to specify, I read this book using the Kindle app and I used the narration along with it at about uh, double speed to get through both of them. It was still about 11 hours for Cold Forge and 13 for Into Crydbis. So just so you know what to expect in terms of how long it takes to get through these books, unless you can read faster than that, unless you can read faster than someone fast. I think you're just a slow read. <laughs> I think you're really? just a slow reader. Yeah. I was reading at like double, double speed. And, and that's what I liked about the Kindle app is it, it tells you exactly how much time you have left to finish the book. And that's what just locks my attention is seeing the words highlighted so I can read along with it and hearing the narration. And the narrator typically has different voices for the characters so I can distinguish the characters more. It's too much input. How can you pay attention? It helps me if I have like multiple sensory inputs to get hyper-focused on what I'm reading. I get too distracted if I just read a book on my own and then I'm like, wait, what happened here? And then I'll have to flip back. I had to go out and buy noise cancelling headphones so I could read at home now. Yeah, I, I need a room totally silent for me to read my book. Mm. It, the, t- the TV can't even be on in the background. I, I can just about cope with it on a bus where everything's white noise, yeah. but not... not you weirdo. You weirdo. <laughs> hey, Amazon wouldn't offer it if people didn't read that way. I mean, it is it is a good way to read. And I suggest if you haven't tried it, try it. Like you get a discount on the Audible one and you just tap the narration and then it goes at the pace you want to go at. And it's it's a really cool way of reading. I, I've it, come it to sounds, really like it. It sounds madness to me. <laughs> But to Adam's defense, there was someone in the forums as well that does the same thing. It might have been Engineer was his name, but he does the same thing. But let's 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 move back on to uh, Captain <laughs> Kylie Duncan. So I wasn't a huge fan of uh, Captain Duncan. I get the cocky, arrogant colonial Marines that we fell in love with with aliens, but Duncan to me felt beyond that too over the top compared to the more realistic characters that surrounded her. You know, she sometimes felt less like a character and more like a caricature at times that would make even Peter Keyes from Predator 2 blush. Like when her nose and face is melted off and she approaches Kamran to knife him, she spouts, here, piggy, 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 piggy. (laughs) Lines like that in her position, in her situation, in her condition, please. Big eye roll. She's meant to be mental. That's the thing. Uh, 
Yeah, but the fact that she was higher up in this three-year intelligence yeah. operation, it's like, I could understand if you wanted to set up this excuse for having her forces occupy this colony and use, like, when she initially explained that, I was like, oh, this is like a level of intrigue. But I'm like, if you're trying to achieve those goals, like, you're sabotaging yourself because you're killing all these people and you're killing your own soldiers here. So you're kind of eliminating the whole cover up of what you want to do there in the first place. So it was like she was her own worst enemy if she actually wanted to accomplish what she was Well, that's when everything had spiraled, already spiraled out of control. So this was when she was being called out. Well, not even then. Like, initially, before they even... So they arrive at this colony, right, under the guise of rescuing these Americans because the Iranian security forces kind of panic and they don't know what's going on when another ship arrives. And so they take their American contractors as prisoners. One of them sends out a distress call and the Marines come in. Turns out this was a three-year intelligence operation. This was just an excuse for them to come and take over the facility. But they're they're just going to let the aliens kill everyone. But at the same time, they just murder the Americans when the Americans hadn't really done much except protect test a bit when there was another way to get out of that situation probably if she was a commanding officer she could have found one but instead she just kills one of the americans like while they're there in front of this new recruit that she entrusts this to she's like oh i want you to join my like corrupt soldier club even though like i don't know if you'll go along with this at that point, she had just been attacked by Shai. Yeah, but they, she was still the reason that they were there. She was why they were rescuing these people. So if- no, they. But the point was, she didn't give a shit. They, nobody gave a shit about the Americans. That right. was just an excuse. She first, she seemed absurd. She just really seemed absurd that and this person with this level of power would not be. All the other characters were a lot more realistic. She was not. I believe you're mental, but you're not going to hold that position that long for being mental. You know, I mean, she says lines like, you know, uh, next time you do that, I'll serve your cock in a hot dog bun. Seriously? (laughs) Seriously? This is what you're telling? I think his name was Cooper, right? She did have a very like cavalier attitude throughout the whole thing. And that, that is mentioned, you know, Be- Becca, the perspective character from the Marines is like, I've never met an officer that talks this brazenly. It was very intentional, very pretty much straight away. As soon as we met Duncan, that was his thoughts on her. I, I just still think it was really unrealistic, but you guys kind of went into this whole operation. Maybe you can help me understand, because if I remember the Marines goal here was it, it appeared to be was to claim the Hasanova colony in a way that it could be perceived as legal, in which case everyone had to, to be dead on Hasanova. And once there was no one alive, no single Iranian alive, then the United Americas could go ahead and claim that planet. That's correct so far, right? Yeah. But also Duncan's like, well, the Americans are going to die here too. But I'm like, why do they need to? Because they're witnesses. But Uh so hang on. So if this is sanctioned by the colonial Marines, why does Dr. Matsushuri... Well, that's the point. It's not sanctioned as such. She keeps telling everybody she has legal tasking orders. No one's seen them. No one knows. Nobody's seen them. I mean, because Matsuita keeps saying, you know, throughout, I am the reason you are here. You're obsessed with killing aliens. I want blue. I'm paying for all you're here. I've, my company has done all the political pushing to give you the power to be a black, basically a black entity. Yeah, he supplied the dropship, I think half the weapons. But then she turns on him later. Like he, he kind of asserts his authority over, over her. He ran away and took resources with him. Remember, he took those good boys with yeah, him. Yeah, he tried, he tried to leave her to die at the point that, he, that Duncan finally has enough of him. 
even still, she must have known that if she killed him, she was going to be entirely screwed. If Wayland well, yeah, Yutani was, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's when everything's gone to pot, though, Adam. You can't exactly think rational thoughts while she's in the middle of a hive, half her face burnt off, and this guy trying to leave her to die, having just made her look like an absolute bell end. And that whole part, like when when he wanted to find Blue too, he's like, "We're just going to march down into the hive with who knows how many aliens, and we're going to find Blue." I'm like, "This is your plan. You're this brilliant Wayland Yutani scientist, and you're like, let's just go into the hive and look for Did him, it not and, work? All, and all die." No, they all died. Yeah, because he ran off. Well, it wasn't well, working, were, and that's why he yeah, ran it off. It wasn't working. Yeah, but I guess he had a lot of faith in those Proud Boys. I mean, he was the one that went ahead and programmed them. I Proud remember. Boys. <laughs> Good boys. A good boys. See, you guys need to correct me. <laughs> Only one time I read this long time ago. Uh, good boys. I think he was the one that programmed them back to form after Aaron Percival, no relation to our Aaron Percival, actually messed up their programming and shut them down. I think it was Dr. Matsushita that, um, you know, programmed them back. And he had a lot of faith in those in those good boys. And I, yeah, I think I guess- they literally run out of ammo was when it started to look a bit dicey. Well, it, no, I think also it was like when they were coming from the ceilings, right? Because the good the good boys weren't using ammo, right? They were using those no, sonic. They had those sonic. Um, remember, it was like. A, no, they, they had sonics, but they also had actual weapons on them. Yeah, yeah. And they had that, that foam stuff. But I think in that turn, they were just clearing a path. So they were using the sonic blaster. And I remember someone saying, it might have been Duncan saying, it's about time someone screams at you like you scream at us, meaning those sonic blasters from those good boys versus the uh, aliens screaming. But I, I guess they just thought that plan was going to work. But I just I just found it odd because it was so they're going to war over all this. And that's pretty much at the ending. We find out that um, this whole ordeal is going to create an, a war between the United Americas and the uh, what, what are the Iranians part of the ICSC? Yes, I think it was yeah, the, the, the independence. And they had recently yeah. kind of seceded from the UPP. Well, the, the Iranians had seceded from the UPP. Right. So I'm real quick to my point. So they, so war is happening and it's really not the United America's, I guess, intention, right? This was an offshoot. This wasn't because Dr. Matsushuti was saying, hey, you committed war crimes, Miss Kylie Duncan, and I'm the only one that can hide these war crimes for you if you help me recover Marsalis. So you got to believe that the United Americas didn't want this to happen. Yeah, but they still wouldn't offer up the people responsible when the evidence was presented at the end. Uh, but we don't actually know what evidence got out there as well, you've got to remember. That's true, because he didn't have a chance to upload all the... Uh... No, and he didn't know. Rebecca didn't know what it was there. It said no matter how clear the evidence was, they weren't going to offer up these people responsible. Didn't Mary testify? And, Mary uh, and Cameron did, yeah, but that, that's, that's just counting, isn't it? It's not hard hard evidence. It was Cameron on the on the audiobook, so I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> I'm correcting you. We're going to butcher pronunciations anyway. Actually, you know, I think she she had an accent like she was from one of these kind, not Iran necessarily, but the, the one who did the reading. The narrator. Yeah, made me yeah, believe yeah, she knew yes, how to pronounce these names. I, I don't have her name offhand, but she actually did a really good job, at least for the um, the chapters I listened to. But so it, so apparently they went to war, and it really wasn't the United America's fault, right? No, it, it all just went tits up basically. They they wanted to pop in, be quite covert. Then it all went went to shit, and it ended with war being declared. 
yeah. between um, the independence and, and America's. But this wasn't really the colonial Marines position. It was just this offshoot that was funded by. Yeah, it was it was this special unit that was funded and supplied by Wayland yutani basically. And Shadow Company for Modern Warfare 2. <laughs> okay. I guess I'm the only <laughs> Call of Duty fan here. Yeah, It's so. all connected. But that was the same idea, just an offshoot, you know, rogue military unit that was kind of doing its own yeah. nefarious. Anyway. But I will say the Marines in general, I was a bit disappointed by how it just turned into, oh, Duncan's a, a psycho. And even even the Wayland yutani doctor says, you're a complete failure. You've, you've killed your entire platoon and, and you've jeopardized the soul. Well, she didn't. Most of them yeah. got back to, no, mo- most of them were sent back to the ship. The only ones that were left were the ones that were genuinely loyal to her, which was well, a couple of fire teams and then um, Becca and his um, rebels, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, but she's still on, she like horrendously brutally like murders them with the gatling gun of the dropship and Four then people. eight people there were two fire well, two yeah but it's still not it's not a, a platoon well, it, or was, a battalion it was six because i think no it was seven because one wasn't there because becker wasn't there I, I think you're overstating overthinking the amount of people that might have been involved here no it's it says two fire teams I know, but you you you're you're making it sound like a giant fucking company when you're saying killed all these loads of people. Well, it was a platoon, and they killed two fire teams in the platoon, and she gets on the comms with the rest of the Marines there, and she's like, "Yeah, they attempted mutiny, and we killed them." And I would think if the, if something that significant happened with a military unit, there would be like a lot of like, "Wait, what is going on? What is happening here?" Give yeah, it. How many people are going to go against your captain if they just murder two fire teams? You probably have. A when, few. When, yeah, but when she's she's telling. Telling people that these were the mutineers, and, and if they haven't seen it, well, that's why they got on an open channel and explained, "Hey, this is why we're arresting you." Yeah, but it's only radio, and and they couldn't hear half of it as well because of the um, you know, the noise from the water, which was mentioned by Becker as well, and he he was trying to see stuff and he couldn't really anyway, see. My stuff. original point was I was a bit disappointed by the marine stuff because initially, when the marines first go in and start capturing and dealing with the aliens, I'm like, whoa, this is really cool to see colonial marines that are way more experienced in dealing with aliens than we've seen before and even the the fissure in the the units like there have been a lot of stories of the commanding officers kind of going rogue and and doing war crimes and then their subordinates have to decide how are we going to deal with this and i wish that would have kind of gone on longer which is why i was disappointed when all the people who joined becker were killed off so quickly i'm like it would have been cool for him to assemble a group of marines to really push back against this but they just get taken out so quickly and then she just goes on this insane spree getting everyone killed and sabotaging her own goals and that's why i was like oh man they just kind of turned her into a villain when it could have been a lot more intrigue there so personally i was just a bit disappointed by how the marines ended up being handled to me she just doesn't fit in the realistic nature of the book i mean you throw her in predator 2 i'm gonna love her okay but (laughs) around all these other characters and even the midnighters even becker or lee or cooper or percival um she just didn't seem she seemed like a comic book character among real humans and that's really the main reason why i'm not giving this book a 10 is because of duncan she was just too silly you're a piggy 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 (laughs) she is just too silly for me and i know we're not going to change aaron's mind and aaron's not going to change our mind but it just it just stuck out like a sore thumb And, and it's a shame because i did really love the concept of the midnighters 
I thought that that concept was super strong. And I thought, I mean, again, in concept, if you want to have a CEO that's kind of going rogue, but she just like loses her mind completely. And so it, it was just a bit over the top for me as well. Even though initially I found her character very interesting, once she starts just killing people left and right, it was kind of like, ah, uh, come on. So, yeah. It wasn't left and right, Mr. Hyperbole. But no, I mean, the the handling, the way that the clone and Marines actually came in and served as both villains and heroes was something I really liked about this one. Because I think in Aliens, we tend to be used to the clone and Marines of the out-and-out heroes. Yeah. They show up, kick ass, or get overwhelmed if we're, you know, if we're just going back to the actual representation from the film. But, you know, so much of this book is unlike the Cold Forge in that it's not built on tropes. There's a lot of original stuff in there. But the main trope that Alex used uses is the clone of marines and flips it around so that they're both villains and bad guys yeah. there's an element that i really really enjoyed with this one yeah and the marines that were good were great characters like i love becker's character and and yeah, that's why i was disappointed when the people he rallied with him died off so quickly because they seem like really interesting characters just based on their introduction as well and his mother was a general as well which is why the whole duncan thing really was like really she wouldn't know that that she's killing the son of a general and i was a bit disappointed that didn't end up coming back in the epilogue like the epilogue was a little short for me in terms of like tying up everything that happened so yeah when she's killing off becker like given the fact that that she must know his mother's a general in the Marines. It's like, well, you, you don't care about anything at this point, I guess. But she does because she's still there trying to stop the data upload. So she must care about this information getting out. It hits a certain point where it's irreparable and that's when it's like, oh, fuck it. Yeah. So since we're talking about characters, what did you guys think about uh, Cheyenne Hunt? And were, were you guys surprised as I was when she bought it? I was it totally surprised. How fucking... Yeah, I I did not expect that in the slightest. And when that happened, I was just like... Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah, I expected her to be the alien story female protagonist, like our main mm-hmm. character through this. Yeah, I was actually surprised Cheyenne died and surprised that Kamran came back. So... Mm. Yeah, you know? I was yeah. on both counts as well. Yeah. And the, the explanation for that was pretty interesting too. Yeah. And to be honest with you guys, and this is probably going to go against the grain. I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't a huge fan of Shy. You know, she was a little whiny in the book just a little bit. And to be honest with you, from, from the beginning, I wasn't a fan because I remember, um, you know, she was kind of hypocritical in a way. She wanted Noah fired for creepy leering at her she, yeah, in her underwear. And then she starts to judge Noah in his underwear, and he looks kind of lanky and not very attractive. And then Arthur comes in, and she does her creepy leering, and she says, oh, I hope I hide my gaze better than Noah. Yeah. Yet she just wanted Noah fired, you know, a paragraph ago for doing the same thing okay so this is something that i think people who don't like the book just do not like but it's one of the things i love is this whole there's a lot of duality in that everything is neither black nor white everything is gray and that is in terms of character behavior and stuff like that i mean obviously the first chapter you know we get this we get this with shy she's a hypocrite but some somehow that doesn't make me hate her no, I don't hate her, but it, it's hard to root for a root for her. You know, it's uh, it feels like uh, Alex White has a very pessimistic view of the world or the alien world, at least, where not many characters were likable here. So many were despicable in their Which own. Just wait till the cold forge. 
in in their own little ways, you know, and 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 these type of characters, it, it makes it hard to gravitate to and subsequently root for. It's it's a valid criticism, I think. You know, the only one I really, really, really rooted for was Kamran. You know, and he looked like a roundabout, really good guy. Yeah, Cameron was. Yeah. I think that's one of the book's strengths because even, and Alex is right in strength, to be honest, because even when a character is not necessarily, again, black and white likable or hateable, it's real. There is no true likable person, in my opinion. And I think I think Alex gets, again, the tone of Alien. That kind of thing, I think, is very alien. And I think it's very real. You mean in this book or just in general, real just life? Just in, in this book. in Because I think you're likable, Aaron. I think Adam's likable. <laughs> I have a little more optimism in people. <laughs> With the exception of Duncan and Dorian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's always been a thing in the alien universe is like when it turns into a survival situation, how are people going to act with each other? Sure. But I, I'm really interested in Aaron's perspective here about just general people. Well, no, no, I, I don't think anybody is truly black and white. You might like me, but there's so much that I know I might not tell you that I fucking hate about myself. And I think you, you don't work with me. You don't know how pissed off I get because of my situation at work. You say Adam's likable. How much do you get pissed off at his tardiness? I, all right, I do, but no, nothing I, is nothing is truly simple. Is more what I'm saying, and I think that layer in Charybdis helps me get into the world rather than be pushed out by it. As long as the characters are interesting, and I tend to find that complexity interesting. You know, things like when we do get chapters in Ky- from Kylie's POV, she is not a bad guy as far as she's concerned, and I love that. And it's where I think some of the other stuff fails. Going back to the DH Press novels, Criminal Enterprise, nobody in that book is fucking likable but nobody's interesting either and that's where it falls down they don't have to be likable to me they just have to be interesting but that isn't uniquely separated like that you can be likable and interesting Kamran was very interesting to me and he was likable and i'm not saying i want all the characters not likable well even he had his moment he is at fault for death early on in the book and he blames himself for it so he is not clean of everything and he is participant in Shy's kidnapping and forcing her to do all this stuff that she doesn't want to do. And threatening the Americans when he knows they lied on the, the, the terms of them being there. They knew they were wrong. There is no simple terms in anybody in this. And it's just part of the charm. Is Jerry a good guy? World. I think Jerry might be good. No, Jerry's a dick. Mary, the, the <laughs> lovely old kindly Texan woman who's a fucking racist. But it's okay because she's lovely. Whoa, 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 whoa! You really think she's a racist? It's a sta- it's a sta- with the okay, xenophobia stuff is established really early on, and then as the book ends, she shits her pants when she comes into a freed slave, basically the android. I, I didn't get that context with the android. Yeah, the android is really throwing me off. But let me let me start with the beginning. Let me d- defend this point at least here. I didn't see racism with her. I saw possible religious discrimination. Yes, I mean I came from a very religious home where all other religions were wrong. But I didn't take her as a racist. Now Mary's country, she said, was at odds with Iran, and she seems very that patriotic type. And she called them all Muslims who won't eat pork incorrectly, which is just plain ignorance. But the racism I didn't see. And I'm going to back this up because when Mary thought Kamran had died and returned, she was so happy. And she was the only one that went up to him and hugged him and said, Kamran, I prayed for you. And that doesn't seem like a racist to me. 
No, but as she gets across, you know, she, she learns that they're not unknown. As the book starts, she's a she's a phobic, and you can't well, deny I think, that. I think part Whether of that is just being in a religion. culture you're totally unfamiliar with. Yeah, and-, and she's and she doesn't understand the religion, and she also says in that first part of book, Aaron, that our countries are at odds with each other, that they're enemies. They're not at war, but they're at odds with each other. It's always about that enemy territory. I never actually got to her judging by the color of their skin. Definitely judgment by religious discrimination, but not skin color discrimination, not racial discrimination. I never got that in the book. Now, you guys read it more than I did, but I don't believe I saw that once. And in regards to the the android, I didn't see it. She's scared because the thing is, it's not because it's a freed slave. It's because that that was very much Alex's intent. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. I just took it as she thought he couldn't like, he was already kind of damaged, so he wouldn't have the means to really do anything with himself. That he would not be afraid to harm humans anymore. That he has personal desire over humanity's desire. That's what she was scared of, that that thing was switched off. I never- It's not indentured anymore. Could, if he wanted to, could harm his former master. Right. And you think that's a form of racism? Well, not necessarily racism there, but it's, Okay, maybe we've wound up over the the word racist, but definitely phobia of not herself. Judgment, yeah. I don't know if she's scared, but she passes judgment. She's 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 ignorant in, in places. Yeah, absolutely. And which is nice to see that Mary. She never seemed to judge Cameron by his color, but it was nice to see Mary actually when Cameron and Tyran decided to pray. You know, and they put the the it's a blanket or carpet. I'm not the, sure the prayer mats. Yeah, the praying mats that she went over and was like, can we join you? And that was a great moment. It was a great moment. You know, it is showing the growth, but, you know, she doesn't change, I think, as far as my perspective, it doesn't change the, the the phobia or the judgment from earlier. No, she definitely the, has this perspective know. of also being this lovely motherly figure to to shy. It was a good moment until Dorian got in a fight with Becca right there. No, not Dorian. Um, Noah. Noah got in a fight with Becca right there. But oh, yeah, the yeah. reason I thought of Dorian no, is because such a prick. Blue, and we're going to get into Blue shortly, but Blue attacks Noah, and I assume it was because he reminded her... Of Dorian with the chair. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it was it was a callback to when Dorian nailed, I forget the character's name, but Blue's kind of mate from... Well, lover. Yeah. Okay, so so while you guys are there, callbacks. So I had no idea what was in Cold Forge. So I assumed Blue was a character from Cold Forge. She's the main character from Cold Forge, yeah. Okay, I assumed Dr. Matsushudi. Shudia? No. Oh, he's not. That is some deep lore is what that is. Really? Okay. It is um, Matsushita is the scientist from the end of Alien 3, the Japanese scientist. Oh! Did they name him in that? No. So that only came from one of the scripts, I think. Oh, wow. Okay, that was Alex White doing a deep dive. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was some digging. Well, that's actually cool. That's cool. There was there was a lot of little like uh, you mentioned the good boys earlier. The Sonic stuff is a shout out to Rogue because they used the Sonic weapons in that, and the concrete kind of stuff is a shout out to Sea of Sorrows, where that's what the mercenary, the Wayland Utani soldiers right. in that used to capture aliens. All right, so for Cold Forge, it was Blue Marsalis was Rook. Marcus also. was another character. It wasn't Rook, it was Marcus. Okay. Well, she had, she mentioned she had worked with Marcus before. It's That's why a she different Marcus Rook. model. Really? Well, that because, was the same yeah. one. It was repurposed. I thought, no, it's, it's not the same one. But they said he had the head injury that he gets in the first book. He said he had a giant scar on his head, yeah. 
No, he half of his face is. Yeah, I assume because of Dorian's attack and Cold Force. It's all it's all supposed to be maintenance. He's not supposed to be the same guy. I went the same way as Adam. So why why did they wave at each other then? Yeah, no, he, she she was fascinated by him because it was a Marcus, and he's fascinated by her reaction. I thought he recognized her. Yeah, like, that's I, what I, I, but that's why he he got himself killed to set her free. That's what I took it as. That's not how I took it, and I'm pretty sure that wasn't the intention. Yeah, I took it as the Rook, same Rook, Rook was Marcus. from the end of Cold Forge, though. It was it, it was it was mentioned yeah. right at the end of yeah, that's Rook. Right. Was anything else? Any other character? No. What about the characters that Seeks in that she meets at the end of Cold Forge? Were they the same at all? Didn't they mention them? No, because diff- he it was a different boss. Oh. Yeah. So, But Blue is the only continuing character. And again, Blue's entire description is also Deep Lore kind of thing as well, because it's Giga's original design for the Alien 3. Yeah, the, the yeah. human lips and all that. The Michelle Pfeiffer lips and the um, the rattling plates on the head to signify mood kind of thing. Yeah, that was really cool. You know, I had a, I had trouble visualizing blue. I couldn't visualize it at first. You know, it was I was trying to visualize this alien like rattlesnake creature because, it, you know, blue kept like doing this kind of rattle and with these scales. But then I think it was um, engineer on the forums for me who showed that unused um, H.R. Giger alien art from Alien 3. Huh. And that was so helpful. Once I saw that, everything clicked into a place. I I think it was the lips that made me cotton on to what Alex was doing. I was like, ah, uh, okay, yeah, I'm with it. And then I then I got the the concept out in my head. You know, it was it, it's it's a real cool deep dive. But I think I think it would have been really helpful if he somehow got permission to actually print that in the book because I don't believe I was the only one that had trouble visualizing it. As far as I can tell, there were some other people. Not maybe everyone, but I really had trouble visualizing. And I, I can explain why. Even um, with Charybdis, okay, I started out with the audiobook and it was a little challenging to understand the structure at first. And then once my physical copy arrived, actually, when I was listening to the book, I was saying to myself, oh man, wouldn't it be helpful if I had some sort of visual aid? And then when that book showed up, lo and behold, here was this great diagram of the uh, Charybdis complex. And I was like, thank you, Alex. And once I saw it, everything clicked into place. And it would have been helpful, I think, with Blue as well. And normally, I don't approve of that. I know you're supposed to use your own imagination, but a couple of things, at least for me, was a little tricky. Yeah, the, the facility itself, too. And, and even with that diagram, which was helpful, there were a lot of descriptions where you had to really use your imagination in terms of how a facility like this would work in this giant natural whirlpool pretty much going down into an abyss. Like I would have liked to have seen maybe some more concept art in terms of what this facility would have looked like. Well, we also have the cover, which is pretty wild, you know, but I don't know. I love the Hasanova Data Solutions Complex. I mean, that is the true star of our show other than, um, to me, other than Blue. And it's one of the most interesting facilities I have ever read in fiction. You know, they call it the Maw or they call it the, the Vault of Heaven, which was this like, you know, what was it? A uh, stable lava tube, they called it. And apparently it had many owners, right? It was, you know, or it was a Russian facility. Before that, it was Wayland. And before that, it was engineers. You know, normally I desperately, like I mentioned before in the opening, I, I, I want to get past learning about a work facility really fast. But <laughs> it, it had a wondrous nature to me. And I was quite 
mesmerize, uh, picturing these waves of water rushing some down. Great, great imagery in that. Yeah, it's this this basically devil's anus, not to borrow a name from Thor <laughs> Ragnarok. And it was just wondrous, and it felt like to me like a, a John Hammond moment, you know, where he would welcome <laughs> guests to Jurassic Park. Yeah, when they walk out onto the Thunder Ring. Yeah, and I. I was just enthralled. I was enchanted. You know, I believe the moment actually that captured my heart was when ever so often the sun broke through and these multiple rainbows would appear uh-huh. above all of them. And Alex wrote all this in such an exceptional way that I could just picture being down in one of those data storehouses, looking up, admiring at the glorious nature of it all. You know, it's it. it love it. Once I finished reading slash listening to to Charybdis, I went back to, I was halfway through listening to The Martian with Will Wheaton when I started started this one. And I was just, I I love The Martian. But as I was listening to that compared to Alex's writing, I was just like, it's just isn't as good. I miss Alex's, I miss Alex's style. Yeah, I really like Alex's style. Alex is a great writer. Yeah. yeah. Just in terms of keeping you engaged in the flow of the words and it's in third person, but we still get to kind of see what people are thinking. They just do a really excellent job with all that. What did you guys think of the present tense perspective? Because that is not typically used in novels. It worked. I mean, it kept me engaged. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it. It took me a little while to get used to it with the with Cold Forge because I wasn't used to it then. Can't say I've ever read many. So yeah, usually it's always in past tense, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It really didn't cause an issue for me. You know, it really didn't take me out of the book or I really didn't struggle with it. And, you know, I enjoyed every aspect about his writing. You know what I really enjoyed, actually? I really enjoyed from Alex his cliffhangers. And uh, I really found it pretty wild how every chapter Alex White wrote ended in that same sort of cliffhanger fashion. And it could have been a character moment to an all out action scene, but it felt like almost every chapter felt that it ended in a middle of motion and action or a feeling left uncompleted incomplete that left you craving to read the next chapter asap you know how fat this book is how is is the fattest alien novel yeah it does not feel it i i blitzed through it and, and it didn't feel long in the slightness it felt a little stretched to me at the end be honest with you i think adam mentioned it was it was too brief and i thought it just needed to be wrapped up a little bit sooner, especially when Kamran and Mary are just lying out there on the rocks, gazing out in the sun. And, you know, there's Mary's dead body and pacing felt uh, it needed to be shored up just a little bit to me, just in my personal opinion. You mean Blue's Blue's dead body? Yeah. Who did I say? You said Mary's dead body. Oh, so yeah, Blue's. But, you know, so I struggled with it a little bit in the end, but otherwise I'm with you. I'm right with you, Aaron, towards in the middle of the book. it, It didn't matter. I just wanted to go and go and go. Keep reading. And I really like a lot of the way Alex does world building because yeah. you know you you, meant, you mentioned the multiple owners thing and like the 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 atmosphere processor is still the UPP version and they have to go through they're literally traveling through past and history to get to the new stuff that isn't actually quite so new in the end but I there's lots of little elements of world building that set my imagination going 
don't make me stop as such so the the book moves on past it drops the note and i can think about it and i can come back to it and i just i love elements like that you know even even the stuff when we get down into the engineer facility this whole thing with the amphitheater down there and and even like the little mentions of the aliens not hiving up the the engineer heads you know little moments like that i think are brilliant because my mind's just going oh, why what could possibly yeah. be happening what's this for Kind of getting to the lore implications here, like we find out there were before Hasanova, Data Solutions was there, the UPP was there, and they had infrastructure there. But before the UPP was there, there were Wayland sites pre-merger that were there to research the engineer complex pre-Prometheus even. Does it spec? I know you it said does. this in chat. No, but... It does specify, yeah, because they say once the incident at Prometheus happened in the book, then they closed up all these operations. Yeah, they did. So I was like, well, wait, Wayland knew about this stuff? Like, he still went well, to LB223 kind of blind, but... I thought that was when it, the merger happened was when they started closing. No, they day. say after Prometheus. Which would have been, yeah, the merger would have been after Prometheus as well. They specify the incident. Like They say, like, after the incident, they closed up all of Wayland's crazy projects is what... They actually said it took years, if I remember, because there were some facilities... They were still finding stuff that nobody knew about. Right, they, they said it took up to 20 years, but they said that was the event that started all these projects being closed. Yes. So I, I took it as this was a facility that was there pre-Prometheus. And I'll have to look it back up to see the specifics, but that's what it seemed like to me. But that kind of goes with the RPG, like the Cronus, right? Because that was also around the time of Prometheus. Mm-hmm. So there were Wayland science groups that yeah, were... Yeah, maybe they were checking out all the Xeno-archaeological stuff without necessarily knowing everything was linked to Prometheus. Yeah. And I, I think that's really interesting as well. You don't necessarily know that Black Goo is 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 related to the engineers, right? From, from Shaw's sure, yeah, sure theories, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But again, that's not something that it's not a huge, it's not a focus in the book. It's just. No, and I was kind of grateful that the black goo wasn't, <laughs> of course I was, I wasn't such a focus, but there was, I was a bit confused by the Plagyrus Propotens. Am I saying that right? Black, black goo, black goo. No, because they're different aging. They are different, but it comes from that, right? Initially, it's like the aliens. But I think that's that's left open to interpretation as, as well, because I was I was asking Alex in our last episode, is it all the same or is it variants? And in Alex's mind, it's the black goo, the plagiarius, and what Blue was seeking, the Queen's Code, a variants of an original material. So she was in- encoding the propotence. Right? She was in- she was tinkering around with the plagiarius, yeah. Yeah. Which which in Alex's mind is this ugh, in terms of David creating it, but is David's variant that specifically going to that alien form, which is why she takes on the, the, the silness. So why don't we get into blue here? This is the most interesting part of the book for me. This mm-hmm. is the first time we have seen an, an intelligent tool using xenomorph that was formerly a human but maintains its consciousness that does not just want to kill everyone. So that fact alone, I was like, whoa, this is something we have never seen before. But I don't hate that idea. I think it's actually really interesting. I hate the idea, but I didn't hate Blue. <laughs> <laughs> it is something I've always wanted to say, and it turns out Alex stole it from me. Oh, yeah? Did they admit that? Yes, Alex admitted it. So in, in our last interview from Cold Forge, you know, I'd, talk, I'd asked, did you have any intention of Dorian actually mutating? Because that's where I thought you were going. When, he was, when Dorian was having these fantasies about pulling off his skin and finding the alien material under there. Yeah. And then it turned out that's 
what inspired Alex to do with Blue. Because again, when we spoke, when I spoke to Alex last time, it's like I don't, I'm not interested in continuing his Blue story because I don't know where to go with her in a meaningful way. And <laughs> funny thing was. So uh, we've kind of alluded to it, but I I had the pleasure of reading the evolving first draft of the book of of Inter Charybdis and offering um, suggestions and things I didn't like, things that I thought would be well lore elements and stuff like that. Not enough personal in it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then he ended up having you, or they had ended up having you stabbed. Yeah, I was like, oh, thank thank you for that, Alex. I appreciate that. Why why do all the authors have me being you know massacred or, or some sort of bell end or something? But so when I got to that part in the book, when I realized what was going off with Blue and stuff like that, I was like, okay, this is awesome, but I'm kind of pissed because I'm also working on a fan project where I'm doing pretty much exactly <laughs> the same thing where one of my characters is um, mutated. I was like, all right, well, been that. Wow. It felt like Alex was writing the book for me. So much of the, the what Alex did in this is stuff the where I was just like, yes, do it. I love this. More, please. Yes. Get out my brain. <laughs> I don't. The idea could go so wrong, though. You know, I mean, but it's credit, done right here. Yeah, that's what I mean. Credit to Alex White here. You know, that's why I said I'm in hell. Don't stop because this is not what I want to read. If you told me this was going to be in the book, I wouldn't even pick it up. But it was great here. I've I've wanted this for so long. I mean, I, I know it's kind of maybe reductive, but because of Giga designing Sill in my head canon, you know, Sill feels a part of the alien universe. And I think it's a natural way to try and uh, expand out a little bit more what you can do with the aliens. And as much as Adam hates the black goo, I again think that's another way of doing something different and interesting with the aliens to take it, take take them somewhere else, but still maintain some sentience or humanity in, in it. And in my head, just just in case I've never said this, but Sill in my head is is an alien is an engineer weapon that's designed by the engineers to send out to any technologically advanced species that can then create a weapon that will literally fuck them over. That's a major head cannon right there. <laughs> in, my, in my head, the engineers are obsessed with sexuality and reproduction and stuff like that. So, all right, let me read Adam's head. Fuck no. <laughs> You're not too far. <laughs> but I I did like this idea. And it was super interesting how Blue, as an alien, couldn't speak anymore, but they had this like electronic device that they somehow operated with their claws, right? And it, it that well, it's, was kind it's of supposed tele- to be like a finger motion kind of thing, right. picking up on. So it would kind of use sign, and then this electronic device attached to it would speak for was it. Was that device from Rook? I got the yes. impression. That- yes, okay. it was. It was Father's voice box. Oh. Rook's voice box. Same right. same person. But he only became father once he was merged with the... Was it Black Star or Dark Star? Black Star. Black Star. Okay. But what was interesting in the context of the Cold Forge is she kind of got what Dorian wanted, what he was so obsessed with, mm-hmm. was becoming the alien. And it was such an interesting contrast how she's essentially an invalid, even more so in, in what we've learned of her in this after the events she, of the she was, she was literally a head in, in a room kept alive by machines. That was all she was. Right. And so now she turns into one of the most powerful sentient creatures that we've seen in the franchise. And she does eventually die. And that was another interesting thing. Like she falls into the pool of black goo. And I'm like, well, did that injure her? Because I don't know how much we're taking into account Prometheus, Fire and Stone, but we do know it mutates the aliens. But we don't care about Fire and Stone. That didn't happen. That's what I mean. Like the black goo rules are always changing. And it's like, well, if it's not mutating her as an alien, but it quickly mutates the humans, then like... 
I, I think after Fire and Stone, people have tended to stick to a more straightforward <laughs> interpretation of what the black goo does. It makes something alien-ish. We don't have to do all this crazy stuff. It's magic. Fire and Stone frustrated the hell out of me. I, I hated how the black goo would literally do anything. It somehow created an ecosystem in that comic. It somehow mutated a robot. What it's always been. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, even even when we go from Covenant, it still goes with creates an alien shape, basically. And I, I prefer that. And that's what I think Prometheus had originally going to be doing. The Spacer stuff, it was more of a... Well, no, Spacer stuff was entirely different. But, you know, Prometheus, at points, it was creating alienish shapes. Well, yeah, Fifield was kind of mutating into that at first before they turned him into more of a black goo zombie. So. Yes, exactly. And, and, and the, the Hammerpede, you know, it resembles the inside of a facehugger. I took that the black goo didn't affect Marcellus at all. And and how awesome was that imagery as well? You know, this river of black goo. I'd have shit my pants, especially knowing what it did. Yeah, and she was just like, don't touch anything in here. In a way, I liked Kylie Duncan's death, in, in a way, but I really wish it, it, it he pulled back a little and gave it to Haroon. You know, when remember when Haroon's holding Kylie to his chest and waiting for the chest burster to burst through, and Haroon's like, "You met my first child, now meet my second child." You know, and I'm like, yeah. "This is going to be perfect." And no, Kylie gets away, and Haroon's. I think Haroon's chapter it was his own interlude. You know, ends, and then what's his face? Kamran pushes him into the black goo, and he turns into um, where are the Morphs. Yeah, Kylie Kyle gets pushed in and she ends up with bloodbursters. But I, I would have preferred that Haroon ending. It, to me, that was like, oh, Alex, you should just let this happen. This would have been alien resurrection. Meet my second child. Uh, Haroon yeah. didn't deserve that kill. And then Haroon was an interesting one as well because throughout the book, we mostly get him from Cameron's POV and Haroon's this giant bell end. I'm sorry, Haroon deserves that kill with his kid? Come on, the daughter, that whole scene, you know? Oh, where... That was fucking brutal. You know, th- that, that, that entire sequence is the part that I'm most disappointed by in the book. What? Oh, because they didn't take them back to the Because heart. Because they didn't know. It was because they didn't maim them. So Alex, Alex wanted some fucking devastation at that point. And I was like, yeah, but come on, why don't, why don't you break some legs and snap some backs and that be was brutal that way? Favorite action scene where it was dark and they're piling upon each other and scraping and clawing and trampling each other. All the, all the human imagery was brutal. Yeah, and, and Haroon's wife is holding that, I don't know the name of the child, but that little girl, and he has to pull and break her arm to pull her free. It was devastating. Oh. It was fucking brilliant. I, again, I loved it and, and was kind of disappointed at the same time, but the, the brutal of that i love it when alex goes brutal i really do yeah and and she didn't even get away that poor little girl you know i mean we don't get to see her death if i remember another cliffhanger you know it ends right props to her standing up to the alien though jesus yeah yeah i forgot what she did but it was like you know leave my daddy alone right yeah something like that and he had to sit there and witness it yeah i think it ended what with With the alien turning towards her yeah i think it would the child was in his grip or in, Uh, in, in its grip but Blue brought the aliens to the planet. She yeah. just didn't intend for them to get no, out. So, right? so she, she'd come to go to the engineer facility. To harvest material, right? Blue was looking for samples of this original, what everything is derived. Just to experiment more? Or? Yes. Yeah. 
Blue, Blue was like, this Plagiarius is taking a very narrow view towards this alien shape. If I want it to do this CRISPR stuff, this fully DNA whatever I want it to do, I need to find the original. And that's what Blue was so she That was her goal. She was still trying to find a cure for pretty much anything. Anything, yeah. yeah. Blue, Blue was still trying to do what she was trying to do in the Cold Forge and find a way to rewrite human DNA. I think Blue even referred to those as her children, I think, yeah. at some point. Yeah. 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 Again, and that's something else that I love because Resurrection, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff in it, but Ripley's identity crisis, is she human, is she alien, is one of the things that I find most interesting about Ripley 8, and it's why I like yeah, Ripley 8. Agreed. And to see Blue also take on aspects of that was really fascinating. And I think an interesting expansion of the way she was also portrayed in the original, because, you know, she had this whole gender identity thing in the original, you know, where Blue preferred being in Marcus's body and presenting as a male and the, this whole thing in there. And I thought it was like a nice sort of extension of, of that identity confusion i guess so that that was really interesting to me well yeah initially when they call it the alpha alien at first don't they the the wayland scientist calls it someone calls it the alpha alien when she's trapped yeah yeah so at first i was like whoa is this the alpha alien that's kind of hinted at in the new marvel comic or something but no it's not but i don't know maybe that'll be a similar type idea we'll see but when the alien starts talking to the people and helping some of them. I was like, okay, is blue driving the alien with the BDI kind of like she did the androids, or is this an Android alien that she has control over something? But initially my mind was like, Whoa, no, she's a straight up. She was human and has transformed into an alien creature, but she still maintains her consciousness. So that was that. And the implications of that moving forward in the franchise, I think are really interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even the the ending, I couldn't fucking believe the ending. I was like, are we really leaving this on intergalactic war? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, the United Americas are a pretty intense force, so... So go back to the ending first with with Blue. I mean, do you think this is the end of Blue? I mean, I, I know Alex White seems like he's not going to come back for the third book. I think if they come back, they're going to go with Blue. I, I think that with... Yeah, they scoop Blue up and brought... Yeah. With with father taking the body back, I think there's um could revive her or something. There's ways and means, yeah. Maybe maybe something that they. Because I was found. disappointed that she died. I was like, ah, oh, yeah. Can't... I wasn't expecting it, and well, I was hoping it wouldn't happen because I really like Blue. I think Blue is super fascinating, and I have done since the original book because I love the I love the idea of her of her Blue being the hero, but also being again the crazy scientist who's doing shitty things, but will that will benefit everybody if blue succeeds so i i again i like the complexity and what father's going to do is setting up another sequel as well because I, i'm with mary there father was kind of creepy as i'm reading this chapter here and i'm like <laughs> father was fucked up father feels a little bit unpredictable at this moment you know and uh, i think it was best for mary and karan or kamran <laughs> to, to leave on that what was it a pod or something like that yeah the, the escape pod yeah, because we already seen stuff with uh, David, so I can just imagine what. Father- I love I love crazy androids, so I I was kind of <laughs> disappointed that they left because I was oh give give me more father please. And it's yeah. interesting to me as well is that Blue was the one that fucked father up, and yet there's this yeah. deep deep loyalty between them anyway. I think I love it. I I just I just love non simple situations. Well, Rook said, I know you didn't mean it. You know, mm-hmm. you weren't you. But how easy is that always going to be to forgive? People aren't that simple. So, yeah. 
people aren't so simple, but it's an Android. Rook was saying you you tore me up, but you weren't yourself. You know that kind of thing. I think I think because Blue was waking up from the transformation, right? Because Blue didn't realize that she had killed the other guys. I'm sure she knew that she was probably gonna have to kill some people to kill. No, I know, but she she kind of woke up and she she saw blood on herself, and she was just realizing that there was this hole in that evil scientist corporation guy head. And generally, she just kind of came to in regarding what just uh-huh. happened. There was some sort of furious fight that she wasn't really cognizant of, conscious of, right? She wasn't present for. And then from that moment on, she was present. Uh And she was like, oh, my God, this is what I ended up doing to Rook. So Rook knew it wasn't purposeful, you know, but she was hungry. She was starving. I wonder what she did for food at that point. That was really interesting as well, was the whole hunger and meat thing. Yeah. I love this. I think this is brilliant. Well, yeah, and there's the concept that happens in both the Cold Forge and this again of the aliens eating, which has been kind of a debate among fans, but this is another piece of media that kind of says, yes, they do eat. I don't know if they need to eat, but for me, it's like it gives them strength and they do kind of take pleasure in it. And I think that is kind of described here as well. They never went that far, though. Alex White never went that far in regards to. I don't think we saw Blue Feed. You know, we we no, we Blue didn't specifically. I, I, th- I think well, the implication maybe, is that maybe Blue had called that engineer, and uh, not engineer that the her boss. She'd called her boss. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean. How the aliens spread super quickly, like because the Marines captured a bunch of them and then intentionally let them loose, right? From the ship. Like Blue did not right. did not want an outbreak there. She wanted to get there, grab a sample, and leave. Yeah. Even though she was rolling around with these aliens, which was kind of weird. Like she just had them on her ship for company or testing and yeah. So yeah, they, they capture them in that foam and then the colonial Marines release them, you know, even even um, Blue tried to save Kamran, you know, when um, Kamran's hand got infected with that goo. Which I thought was a brilliant moment as well, because I just I genuinely thought Kamran had yeah. died at that point. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, you could tell that this particular alien was helping Kamran, you know, I mean, I'm, I immediately knew it's oh. You know, the biting the arm off, I'm like, it's it's to stop the infection. I don't know if you guys felt that immediately. No, I just took it as it was dragging him away. Yeah. Uh, okay. You, you're a much smarter reader than us, too. Uh, <laughs> you're too kind. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. There, there's this whole elaborate scheming of luring the Black Star there as the Gardenia is arriving. So the United Americas, or not the United Americas, but Wayland could send the Midnighters at the same time. And it seems very convoluted, this whole plan. Yeah, that was that was probably my main issue with the book was the whole clandestine and it it's set up really interesting but it's like if Waylon had such a stake in this like wouldn't they set send more people there to make sure things were going to plan rather than just one scientist like and this this is again where people overestimate how competent corporations actually are and how communicative they are. Yeah. Well, they mentioned Michael Bishop in this as well. Uh-huh. So that was kind of interesting to see that character back. Yeah, they had a lot of Easter eggs, right? They mentioned Walter and David. Did they mention Walter? At least David, right? Yeah. Wasn't that the first time we've seen Michael Bishop back since ACM? Yeah, well, isn't that the only time Michael Bishop specifically has been? That character was called Michael Wayland in the game, too, which was also kind of weird. Was it? I thought yeah. it was Michael Bishop. No, they call it Michael Wayland in the game. Well, I've, I've blocked a lot of cloning marines out of my memory. Yeah, so. we, that's why we need to play it again <laughs> for the <laughs> Let's Play. 
Do we have to? But no, it, that's why the like deterioration of the operation there, like it, it was set up so interesting. And to have the Marine captain just kind of screw everything up was kind of like, oh man, this is some interesting like political espionage intrigue stuff with the corporate stuff. I wish it would have been better handled a bit in terms of, no, she just wants to kill and like kill the aliens and like kill the civilians. And it was, it just kind of, there was a really interesting setup with all the, the uh, military tension and the corporate tension that I think wasn't fully exploited. You all don't appreciate genuine Belend villains enough. <laughs> it just didn't fit. I appreciate them, but it just didn't fit <laughs> perfectly. The puzzle piece was a little too big for the spot in the puzzle. Otherwise, it would have been a perfect 10 puzzle for me. But otherwise, though, guys, I can't not recommend this book enough. It is such a good read. Like yeah. in terms of just something that holds your attention, characters you can get into, a really interesting world that's presented. Like it is, it is definitely one of the strongest alien books for sure. I, I loved it. I can't. I, I genuinely can't recommend Dark and Cold Forge enough. If your opinions align, if you've listened to these reviews and you found that your opinions align with mine in any any sense, or if you're that guy that somehow doesn't recognize opinions as opinions <laughs> and slags me off for it. But if 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 your opinions align with mine in any fashion, you've got to pick this fucking book up because it is, it is genuinely brilliant. And I I really hope that Alex does get to come back and do a third book or even a short book because there's still a short book, a um, short story in, in an anthology because there's like a whole gap of what Blue had been up to that's open for exploring. You know, there's a potential for war stories following this, previous midnight emissions, stuff like that. Even even the history of, of the, the planet. <laughs> Can I just say how much I also love that the planet being named Data Solutions. That's an over Data Solutions. Yeah, because that's it's, pretty good. It was such a corporate thing to do. Do they ever specifically say why it was built in the Maw? Or is it just because the existing infrastructure? I think it's the the cooling capabilities. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't understand that either. Like, why would they make this a data center, you know, and stick this antenna in the middle? You figure there would be better environments you can do this. (laughs) Well, I I suppose Hoth or something similar would also be good. But (laughs) I think think from what I remember, the intent was it was because it was so it could it could cool things down so much servers get really warm really warm yeah i've walked into a server room after the aircon failed and it was four racks of servers and it was like being hit hit in the face with a fucking fire so imagine these levels of server rooms and the heat they generate is yeah I know, but they're not typically in the oceans of the world. Well, so. I can't say I can't say we have many um, whirlpool lava tubes with <laughs> that also have to have to shoot information across because it was also an intergalactic internet relay and, and web host as well. So and then that oh that actually ties into um, Cold Forge as well, the whole quantum communication thing because that oh, was yeah. Rose Eagle, Rose Eagle here. Yeah. I should bring up that there was someone in our forums named uh, one of our community members named. Space case that did this really great uh, YouTube video, 3D model of the Hassanova. Mm-hmm. Really? I want to check that out because yeah. like, yeah, that was such a interesting and kind of challenging part of this book was visualizing everything like, well, are these catwalks everywhere? Like, and there's also stone parts of this thing that you can walk on and there's caves. Sure that wasn't like, because you were distracted by your multiple input. No, it's just the environment was so unique because the alien hive was in a cave that was in part of the rock wall that was part of the, the 
Whirlpool, right? I needed the diagram. And Aaron, you had that right from the get-go. But when I started the audiobook, you know, I learned later that um, Alex White tweeted that diagram out. So uh-huh. my my guess is that people who are probably just doing the audiobook probably needed it because I sure did. That's the way I started the book. And I was left a little confused, but it all fell into place once I looked at this. But the 3D model that Space Case created was just icing on the cake. The alien hive was in a cave that was in part of the wall, right? The wall structure. It was it was supposed to be, I think, down right down at the bottom with the engineer facility and then leading. Oh, so they did the go edge. to the actual bottom. No, not, not well, no, not necessarily the bottom, but where a lower level. Wasn't there a down. tube between those two islands? Yes, yes, because they come they come up the other side of um yeah. the, the facility. It's a much lower tunnel that pre-existed, you know, all of the human occupiers, you know, between the United Americas. No, no, United Americas never had it. It was Russia, right? Well, UPP. Yeah, we're Wayland, then UPP, then the Iranian state. It's still wild to me how quickly UPP has become such a significant force in canon because it seems like just yesterday they were they were in the uh, Gibson's Alien Three and then they become a prominent force in the RPG and ever since then we're starting to see them in the new game and now we see them. You you, you miss you missing Infestation. That's right, but that was that was just a handheld game, like not a lot of people. Just a handheld Infestation was probably one of the better Alien games. I don't mean to. WayForward is a great developer, so. Did they even allude to what happened to the UPP? Because the Iranian state took over after the UPP. Yeah, yeah, they just fucked off, I think. It was shy <laughs> that found out that it was a previous facility, and then that's mm-hmm. when Jerry said, hey, we got to ask for more money here, I think. That's what triggered that whole thing. And I, I empathize with them crawling around in dirt and cables, dusty, horrible. And those spiders. I did not mean that as a put down to infestation. I hope it's released on other platforms because I don't, what I was trying to say, again, no disrespect to ways forward because it seems like an awesome game. Have you not played it? No, I haven't. And you fucking heathen. Come on. I, I never had an Nintendo, like the last Nintendo handheld I had was a Game Boy. Like I didn't have the. You the did not go out or buy it for. <sighs> <laughs> and here I bought a PSP for Requiem, but I borrowed my missus's PS uh, DS to play that thing. A DS, that's what it was. It wasn't the, well. You could play it on the 3DS. Did it have you the can, 3D now. capability or no? No, no. But the 3DS is going to still play old 2DS games. Play that fucking game. You. I will play it. Well, game. that's one we can. Well, I don't know. Maybe we can get an emulator for that and do a let's play that. Play, play them properly. You've got to play them on the intended consoles first. I see. Get the authentic experience. Anyway, uh, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what what we see of the UPP moving forward, since they've so quickly become like this big force. Like it feels ever since the RPG, the Alien universe has just really expanded. Mm-hmm. And I expected the RPG to kind of be its own thing, but it seems like it's been influencing a lot of other media. Well, it's it's become a, a bit of a, a law bible, hasn't it? Which I get is is its intent anyway in terms of you know creating your own stories for the rpg but it's interesting with the other media tying into it and i don't think that's necessarily a problem and i'm not saying you say it's a problem it's just a little jarring as an alien fan like whoa this universe is a lot bigger with these other factions at play and stuff 
I wouldn't call the UPP a big force, though. I would say they were a big force, at least in the context of this book, because obviously they left. They couldn't maintain. Yeah, I think Adam just means in, in general, in terms in of general. stuff as well. Yeah, because you. they went from being this deep law, deep cut kind of thing that was in just these two scripts to them being, oh, cool, they're in this game. I didn't expect that. That's wicked. To now being one of the major political forces in the alien law at the minute. Gotcha. Because the RPG had to expand the world out. You know, the, the whole independent thing is from the RPG as well. Independent core colonies or something? And it's an extension of, I think, that line in Aliens. They won't get past ICS quarantine line in Aliens. Mm. I think I think that's who it's intended to be. I can't quite remember now, but yeah. Anyway, does any anybody have anything else they'd like to talk about with Intercryptus? No, just that I recommend the book very much. And... Yeah. Um, I would just like to leave everyone with this last line. Here, piggy, 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 piggy. <laughs> I love that. I love it. <laughs> hey, do, you, do you not like Joffrey? I don't know Joffrey. Yeah, I didn't watch Game of Thrones. Talk either. about missing out on pop culture, guys. Mm-hmm. Are you going to read Cold Forge now, AJ? Yes. So, and 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 to wrap that up, um, it didn't really detract from my enjoyment here. You know, I had suspicions that it was blue, you know, and I had some incorrect suspicions as well as what characters were returning, but it didn't, it didn't interfere with my enjoyment here. So if for some reason someone doesn't want to read Cold Forge and read this book first, have <laughs> at it. It's a lot of fun. And then you could read the other one as, as a prequel. But that, I think that's actually how a lot of, I mean, I personally, this was how I got into Alien. Was I was, It was Aliens first. Yep, me too. Then Alien 3. And then I had to go find Alien for all this time. And while I was watching Alien, I was just trying to figure out who the android was. I remember mm-hmm. that being my biggest thing. So uh, sometimes it's fun to read crazy uh, chronological orders from things. Yeah. Cold Forge felt much more like contained, whereas this was a bigger event uh-huh. with more things happening. Like alien and aliens, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. It's yeah. it's a tired it's a tired description, but it's very apt. Brilliant. Well, um, if you agree with us, or if you want to expand on anything we've said, or disagree with us, please do feel free. Do remember these are our opinions, please. Yeah, I don't like you're not professional. <laughs> don't like being slagged off for having opinions. As I recently got verbally assaulted on Facebook for, you know, I, I enjoyed that being compared to Ryan fucking what's his face from IGN. <laughs> McCaffrey. McCaffrey, yeah. For loving the Cold Forge, I was compared to McCaffrey hating isolation. Yeah, whatever. Fuck off. Yeah, because <laughs> well, here's here's the difference, okay? His opinion was very different from almost every other reviewer's. It was literally the lowest on the, the list. But both of these books have been pretty universally acclaimed. Like all of the other major reviewers have given both of these books high praises. And and you you look at it on Amazon as well. You know, they are four point fives, four point sixes out of five kind of thing. So I don't think we're alone in enjoying really enjoying these books. Although, hey, I guess our review was credible enough that they put us on the back of the book. First time, right? Oh, yeah. Galaxies appeared on there. So this is from the rev- uh, my review for the original. First time we've actually got on one of these things, which so, is a, a quite a nice thank cool you, Alex, moment, actually. And thank you, Titan. We appreciate that. 
Adam, I will let you do the uh, social wrap-up. Yeah, so if you'd like to go to our website, it's just avpgalaxy.net, where we have news and discussion forums. We're also on all the major socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you search AVP Galaxy or Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, you're sure to find us. If you're listening to this as an audio podcast, we are also on YouTube. So if you'd like to watch this whole thing again and see our faces, then head on over to our YouTube channel. Or watch our original content, uh, our different content on Yes. The, on- we have more than just our podcasts on YouTube. We have reviews, we have interviews, we have Let's Plays, a whole bunch of stuff. Editorial pieces. And lore pieces. We're constantly working on our YouTube channel, and we have a lot of plans for that this year. So please do check that out. Although we won't tell you what we're working on now. Yeah. No, we've, we've learned our lesson. We're going to be a little more secretive in terms of what we have planned. But if you'd like to follow me personally, it's at RidgeTop21 on Twitter and Instagram. How about you, Aaron? Where can people find you? I'm only on Twitter as at underscore Corporal Hicks. And that's Alien, Predator, Halo, Stargate, NASA... All nerdy space bollocks kind of stuff that I'm into. Voodoo, you want to throw out your socials? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at FN Voodoo Magic, as in FN. <laughs> well, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If for some reason you haven't read these books and decided to listen to this first, then what are you doing? Go read the books. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, thank you, everybody. This has been Corporal Hicks, Ridgetop, and Voodoo Magic signing off. Thank <laughs> you.